Welcome to the Faith and Good Counsel Show, where we hope to inspire joy-filled lives through conversations at the crossroad of mental health, wellness, and faith. And now your host, Stacy Galino. Welcome, one and all. Thank you so much for joining me here again today on the Faith and Good Counsel Show. This is our second in a series of three with my guest, Josie Duke, as we break open in a more intimate way, in a more intentional way, the story of our beginnings, the story of who we are as created by God in His image, male and female, in love for love. Our series is entitled, Who Are You? And it's been inspired by the words of John Paul II as he visited communist Poland in 1979 during those nine days that changed the world, when he said to the people there who were sorely oppressed, you are not who they say you are. Let me remind you. And truly, those words are meant for you and I as well. This is what so much of the pontificate of John Paul II was about, of reminding us who we are as daughters and sons of the Most High God. And that's what we're talking about here in this first series on the Faith and Good Counsel show with my return guest, Josie Duke. We're going to be speaking today more about that as Josie continues to walk us through Genesis. After this episode, I do hope you'll visit me at stacygalino.com and send me a little comment or a question there at the Ask Stacy button. And also I invite you to subscribe there so that we can keep in touch and I can send you information or a notice when there's a new podcast episode up or other content on the website. We begin our conversation today in our first segment by talking a little bit more about who God is and the love that he has for us, inspired by that beautiful quote that Josie shared with us last time by St. Catherine of Siena. I loved the idea of you so much that I breathed you into existence. But how does that work when we're suffering, either in our own lives or in the lives of those we love or in our world as we look at the world that is groaning in agony around us? When we are suffering, we're in a lot of pain. Oftentimes that pain can blind us to the love that God has for us on top of the impact of the original wound from the garden of our not trusting in God's love for us, of our not fully knowing who we are as his child, as daughter or son of the Most High God. So let's head on into our conversation with Josie, where she touches on suffering, but also more today about who God is, which then reveals who we are as man and woman, and how the story of Adam and Eve, with a particular focus today on the account, the second account from Genesis, when Eve is created from the rib of Adam, and the significance of that, and other details that perhaps have escaped your attention as you've pondered the story of Genesis and how the redemption of Christ shows us how much we are loved. It's time now to head on into my conversation with my guest, Josie Duke. The last time we were together, we talked about what the Lord spoke to St. Catherine of Siena. I loved I love the idea of you so much that I breathed you into existence. And I think what happens to us, myself included, many of us, is that 
we sometimes get so bogged down in our lives, in our sufferings, in our trials, that sometimes we're tempted to think, God isn't thinking about me. God isn't paying attention to me. He's got bigger problems than me. He's dealing with something else right now, as if God is a human being who can be separated like that. And what I learned early on in my studies uh, at Notre Dame Seminary, and it just blew me away, was if you take a look at a tree, regardless of where you are, even if you can't see a tree right now, get somewhere at some point in the day where you can. Or just imagine one if you have to. Think about every leaf on that tree every vein of every leaf on that tree. It exists not because God created it once, but because he continues to think about it now. If he stopped to think about anything in this created world, it would cease to exist. So even the vein on the leaf of a tree would cease to exist if he stopped thinking of it. Now think of how many leaves on trees there are on this planet. Are you not more important than the vein of a leaf on a tree? If he ceased to think about you, you would cease to exist. You would literally poof out of existence. And you might maybe leave a little spot where you were sitting or standing. He thinks about you constantly. You are in his presence. You're in his mind and his thought constantly as if you were the only one he created. As if you're the only one who comes to him with your problems. So he does think of you. And it could be that perhaps you are going through this trial and tribulation for any number of reasons. Maybe he's letting you go through it because there's something you have to learn yourself. Maybe it's because there's something that someone else has to learn by watching you. Maybe it's because you made a mistake and you screwed up and you didn't listen and now you got to learn your lesson. It could be any number of things. But I promise you, he's not forgotten you. Because if he had, you wouldn't be here anymore. And you, it's not like you would be in heaven either. You would cease to exist completely. Wow. That is, that, that is profound. That gives a whole new perspective to you're never alone. God is always with you. Absolutely. I mean, when you put it in those words, Josie, when you, when you relate it to a vein of, of a leaf on a tree, mm-hmm. and if he would think to, it, that he would stop thinking about us, that we would literally cease to exist. That is profound. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I just, you know, when I, when I first heard that, I had, to st- I had to take a step back and think, wait, what? It was, it really, it hit me the same way. I was like, uh, wait, so God, God didn't create once and then stepped back like the watchmaker, the eternal watchmaker, and just is watching all this unfold. He is the eternal creator. And when we call him that, we're not just referring to his eternal nature, which is part of it. His act of creation is eternal. And it will be even after this world ends and comes to whatever it's going to be, whatever, whatever that is, he still creates because that is who he is. That is what he is. His being and his doing are one and the same. So it's not like you can be one, you know, we can be one thing and do another. That's not God. God is and does that his, his active being and doing is the same. Mm. it's, you know, and if you think about it too long, your brain will implode. So, <laughs> right. That's exactly right. But I, w- I was thinking kind of listening to you speak and, and thinking about the level of, um, selfishness of narcissism of altar of the self in the world today, which really, it just speaks so loudly to me of poor wounded souls dying to know mm. exactly what you're saying mm. today. 
Yeah. Yes. And during this, this time that we're going to have together that, that we really are that special that God would breathe us into existence. Mm -hmm. But without him trying to find that level of specialness or I'm all that or what have you, or please see me, please know me, please love me. It doesn't work unless we are in that, that beautiful spiration of love that, that for which we were created and in which we were created. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. 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 I see that, that parallel to, to the destitution of the brokenness of the world as we, as we reach for everything that will not satisfy. Yes. Many people have either forgotten or have never learned that God is real he loves you. And to say God is love sounds so trite. It sounds so, yeah, whatever. God is love. Yeah, if he loves me, then why am I suffering? Okay. I get it because I have my own sufferings. Yes. Everyone suffers, right? But he is with you. He, told, he said that to St. Faustina in her diary. My daughter, know that when you are suffering, I am with you. Yes, amen. I have it printed out and taped to the wall next to my desk in my office to remind me that when I have a bad day, when things aren't going my way, when I suffer, as huge as I think it is, and it really isn't, but as huge as I think it is, I'm reminded, you're with me, Lord. I'm suffering now, but I know you're with me. I'm not alone, and I never have been. And I'm open to receive that which you're trying to teach me. Yes, and that's the hard part. That is hard. That's the very hard part. But you know what? I think... It really does in some ways become easier because the more God reveals him to, to you in within your sufferings and you offer them redemptively, the more you learn to trust him. It just mm. it just, just creates this beautiful pattern it does. You know, of more trust and more intimacy and then more arrows potentially come, you know, to try to tempt you away from that. And then you just delve more deep and more into intimacy with Christ and he brings more healing. And it's so beautiful. I've experienced that in, in my own life. Oh, you know, yes. I can tell you stories. (laughs) Yes. We could chat girl. We could talk. That's another, that's a whole other show. (laughs) I know. I know. But you know where we were headed, um, originally, I think, but this is, this is so, this is so the Holy Spirit, you know, leading us and our ladies got us in her mantle as we try to be that vessel of beauty, of openness to, to whoever needs to hear this today. But we were headed, I think, um, from where we were last time. I loved the idea of you so much. I breathed you into existence that we are made in God's image, male and female. He made us. There's a different account in Genesis two, mm-hmm. right? There's there a little bit different perspective and that kind of throws some people off a little bit. I think it does. Uh, Genesis one, of course, starts with creation on the first day, the second day, third day, you know, we go all through all six days. Man is created on the, at the end of the sixth day, God rests on the seventh. But Genesis two is told from a different perspective. In this perspective, man is created first. So Adam is created first and then the animals and creation and the animals are paraded in front of him. And Adam gives them their names. And he realizes after all of this, wait, where's mine? There's not another one here like me. So then he realizes what John Paul II refers to as Adam's original solitude. He is alone in his relationship with God. And he is alone in his relationship without woman. He's alone. He's solitary. This is the only time in the story of creation that we see or hear or read God say, it is not good. Mm. What's not good? It is not good that man should be alone. 
So you have the beauty and the glories of creation, but for man, it wasn't enough. He needs woman. He needs woman. Adam knew that. God knew that. So for the first time then, we hear that's not good for man. It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Adam, and of course, we know the story. He's put to sleep. A rib is removed. It's formed into Eve. He wakes up. And it's interesting that in Genesis 2.18, after God says it is not good for man to be alone, I will make him a suitable helper. In Hebrew, that phrase is ezer konegdo. That phrase in the Old Testament occurs 19 times. 15 of those times, the phrase Ezra Konegdo refers to God. So when he says, I must make him a suitable helper, the helper is to bring him to God. Amen. That's what we women are supposed to do, especially those of us who are in marriages. We are supposed to bring our husbands to God, our children to God. We're, so, we're all supposed to bring Abs- each other to absolutely. God. That goes without saying. But in the context of marriage, especially in Adam and Eve, in the first marriage, that's what she was supposed to do. And it's this phrase, Ezra Kenegdo, is found in Exodus. It's found in Deuteronomy. It's found in the Psalms. So this help that God was going to create for Adam turns out to be woman. It is Eve. But what does he need help for? What Help for what, you know? give directions, you know, honey, the blueberry bush is over there. You took a right, you should have taken a left. No, it was, he had to learn to be authentically human. He had to learn what it meant to love. If he really wanted to be in a relationship with God, he first had to be in relationship with her. He had to be in a relationship with a woman. He cannot be in communion with God unless he could do that first. Interesting. He was complete, yet incomplete at the same time. Body, soul, composite, and yet something was missing. That other piece of himself, if you were, that help that he needed to perfect his relationship with God. If he wanted a perfected relationship with God, he has to go through her. And the same is true for her. If she wants a perfected relationship with God, she has to go through him. So this is what we call the communio personarum, what John Paul II calls the communio personarum, the communion of persons. Yes. They are in communion with each other. They're in communion with God. They're in communion with nature. I mean, it's beautiful. It's perfect, right? Yes. It's perfect. So he wakes up from this sleep. He sees her. And the primordial wonder. And oh my oh, goodness. my goodness. What yeah. does he, he doesn't. The first words out of his mouth were not, wow, Lord, you do nice work. Yeah, this is awesome, right? Wow, she is something. No, at last, this one is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Genesis 2.23. When he speaks those words, that language, he enters a covenant with her at that moment. She is his He is hers, but not in a possessive, lustful way. This is all about them giving of themselves completely as gifts to each other. This mutual gift of self that John Paul II refers to in Theology of the Body. The first time in scripture that man utters words is in the presence of woman. 
Wow. I haven't heard it put that way. That's yeah. pretty cool. It, That's I mean, you know, when you think about it, and like I said, we've, we've heard this story so many times. We're like, yeah, I know that. Now back up a second. Sit with it a minute. The first time man utters sound is in the presence of woman. Mm. How beautiful is that? And she is looked upon as a gift because that's what she was. She was a gift to him and he a gift to her. And that's how this whole thing started. They were gifts to each other. Wow. To bring each other into communion, not just with each other, but in communion with God, with their creator. Right. And it worked pretty well for a while. And then we know what happens after yeah. that. Or we're going to hear more about what happens. Yeah, we're yes, going to hear more about future. what happens. That is true. For but sure. yes, he looks upon her as gift. And then the first time that he sees her, he understands who he is. Because in naming her, he names himself. We see in the same verse, Genesis 2, 23, this one shall be called woman for out of man, this one has been taken. Mm. He names her and in a process, in the process of doing that, names himself. He understands her and in the process of understanding her, understands who he is now in relation to her. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's just so rich and so deep. It's just her mere presence was enough for man to understand that God loved him so much that she was given to him so that he could learn to love. Now that is a powerful, powerful, beautiful statement. Mm. So beautiful. I I wish I could claim it as my own. This all comes from John Paul II. Oh my goodness. You my know, heart. Uh, I just, I tell you, I am more, every time I utter the man's name, more and more awe and just amazement comes with it. Uh, in fact, in 1979, he released an encyclical, Redemptor Hominis, in which he says, man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him. If he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. This, as has already been said, is why Christ the Redeemer fully reveals man to himself. If we may use the expression, this is the human dimension of the mystery of the redemption. In this dimension, man finds again the greatness, dignity, and value that belong to his humanity. In the mystery of the redemption, man becomes newly expressed and in a way is newly created. Woo. And that was his first encyclical. Wow. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that I right? believe it may have been. It was in 1979. I'd have to go back and check. But it was positive. really early in, yeah. in, his, in his papacy. So setting the tone for the... For his papacy. Oh, for ab- sure. absolutely. I mean, it just the idea that Christ fully reveals man to himself. Mm. He so desperately wants us to understand who we are as his creatures that he took on a human nature to show us that. Right. How much trouble does God have to go to? To keep to, pursuing us, to keep wooing us, to I keep mean, drawing us back to not, him. There, were, there was no limit to his love for us. There never was. There never has been. There never will be. But to think about the fact that an omnipotent creator would stoop to taking on a human nature so he could show you who you are. I, I Words just escape me. It, it really does, which is a feat. Which is, a, <laughs> which is a feat for me. My husband can tell you that's a feat for me.
In this next segment, Josie delves more deeply into the second account of Genesis, which reveals more of our theological identity and understanding of who we are as human persons and the kind of love for which we were created to share in within the context of the whole of creation. And what was it actually like in the garden? What was it that God really intended for us to share in in the garden? What happened when Eve entertained conversation with the evil one? Let's return to my conversation with Josie Duke as she shares with us what life was like before the fall and after. The last time we were together, we were talking about how Eve was created from the rib of Adam in Genesis 2, in the second creation account, how when he speaks, he says, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In 1995, John Paul II wrote The Letter to Women, and in it talked about what he called the feminine genius. Now, that might be, it might be tempting for some of us to say, yes, we're smarter than men. We know that. No, no, no. He was not talking <laughs> about intellectual capacity. He was talking about the genius that is inherent in her very being, a gift that enables man to love and to understand who he is in light of who she is. Men and women are very different. We know that. But in, in women, there is something so very different. We have the ability to bring forth life. We have the ability to sustain that life in a way that a man cannot. It's not a sexist thing. That's just a human nature thing. And so John Paul II wanted women especially to understand that we have a gift to be able to bring humanity to God by allowing men to see who they are in light of who we are. And so if they can appreciate woman as the gift that she is, man can appreciate the gift of who he is, and everything would be fixed. And he needs that help that you were speaking about last time yes, to do that. Yes, right? that Ezra Konegdo, he needs that help. Now, that doesn't mean that women don't need help. We do. We must be in Definitely. communion with each other, with man and woman. And in that way, with that, that communion of persons that John Paul II talks about, we are in communion with God. We must be in communion with each other to be in communion with God. That's how it works. Without communion with each other, we don't have communion with God. We can't love God and not love each other. Right. We can't. That's, that's not how it works. So in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve enjoyed in the beginning everything that we lost after the fall. They were in a state of original holiness. There was no sin. There was no guile. They were in a state of grace. They were in a state of original innocence before sin clouded their minds and warped their wills. They enjoyed original unity in which they could give of themselves completely as a gift one to the other in perfect love. There was no taking. Ba no battle of the sexes. No battle of the sexes. There was not, I want you, I will have you, I'm going to take you. There was none of mm. that. They didn't know what that was. Mm. There was such a complete wanting, a complete desire, a holy desire to be with the other that it did not occur to them that anything else could be the case. Wow. They were so completely protected from that up until then. It was a gift of one to the other. Their, their marital intimacy was a gift, a thing of beauty. It was a thing of sacredness. And sadly, after the fall, we lost that. So this original holiness, original innocence, original, this is what God intended. All of this beauty, 
all of this, this lack of sinfulness, this lack of guile, the lack of possessiveness and lust. Of domination, domination and control. Right. And not dominion. God gave man dominion at, at creation. From, is not, right. But after the fall, we would get domination. Right. Big difference. So Eve was given as a gift to Adam to bring him to heaven. Adam was to do the same for Eve. And then this line that John Paul II expounds upon so beautifully in Theology of the Body. They were naked and felt no shame. Genesis 2.25. That line is so loaded and, you know, so many of us just kind of, especially, you know, I teach middle schoolers, so they go, you yeah. know, they kind of snickers like, yeah, you, oh, if only you understood. So I've got to unpack it for them and say, look, let me explain this to you. Why do they not feel shame? Because they were looking at themselves and each other with God's eyes. Right. They were gifts to each other. They saw the beauty of God within the other. Adam looked at Eve and saw God. Mm. Eve looked at Adam and saw the same thing. She saw God. How beautiful is that? How could you not want to give completely and totally of yourself, mind, body, soul, spirit, all of it to the other as a complete and total gift? There was no manipulation. There was no fear. It was perfect. But somebody else had other ideas. Old Red Legs himself. But all is not lost, right? You know, sometimes we think the fall, well, that's great for them, but (laughs) what do we do? Right, exactly. Well, yeah, everything was perfect for them, you know, but after the fall, it wasn't perfect for them. It's like, now we got to deal with all this. And like, thanks, Adam and Eve. Thanks, Adam and Eve. We need to chat. I know. Hopefully. Like, like, we're going to have words, okay? Seriously? (laughs) What were you thinking? So, you know, it's just... Now, the question is, how long did this last? No one knows. The fall could have happened instantaneously at Eve's creation, which is what some theologians will tell you. Others will say, no. Some time had passed, months, years, decades. We don't know because at this point, time was not really an issue. There was no body recording history. So we don't know how quickly these things may have happened. Could not have been very long, though. That's my sense. My sense is that it could not have been very long. I don't know that for a fact. That's just a sense I get from the scripture. So, you know, here we are. Everything is perfect. Adam and Eve loved each other with the love that God intended. They walked and talked with God in the garden in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine that? I I have imagined it many, many times, and it just draws me to this this beautiful place of, of just desire. I just... What, what I want it. Um, I, I want it. I know it. You know, we want to, we want to keep going back. We want to keep going back, but we can't. And John Paul II is so good at showing us we can't go back. We've got to go forward. Yes, that's true. We got to go forward. So they walked and talked with God in the garden in the, in the cool of the evening, mm. uh, which is what scripture refers to. And they, they had the run of the garden, except for one thing, we all know what that is. And there was only one thing that God commanded them not to do. We all know was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the question is, who did he give that command to? Was it Adam and Eve or not? It was Adam, the, the, the guardian of the garden. The guardian of the garden. Eve was not created yet. He hmm. gave the command to Adam to stay away from that tree to stay away from the fruit, to not eat of the fruit, because if you do, you will surely die. 
Satan had another plan, though. That sounds like a very important point. It is. Making. It is. It, it will come to play a little bit later. And this is, you know, as I say, sometimes we know the story so well, we just kind of gloss over things, but that's going to come to play later. So Satan is a liar, right? We yes. know. We know this. We oh, know yes. this. I don't think we appreciate the enormity of his evil. We, we don't. And Christ himself called him the father of lies in John chapter 8, verse 44. But, you know, he may be a liar, but he's not stupid. No, he's brilliant. He is beyond a, our imagination. He, well, you know, he, he was created an angel of light. His name, Lucifer, the root of that name, Luce in Italian and Latin is light. He was an angel of light. He was an archangel. So mm -hmm. he was pure spirit. As pure spirit, he's exceptionally intelligent, way more intelligent than we are. So he might be a liar, but he's not stupid by any means. So he was created an angel of light, far more strength, far more intellect. But something to never forget, he is not God's equal. He's a creature. Thank, thank God. Thank you, <laughs> yes, Jesus. So, yes, you know, right. sometimes there's sometimes I think people, especially children, sometimes think that God is at war with Satan and it's a, it's a battle of equal power. It is not. Only part of that statement is true. There is a battle. Oh, yes. But it's not a battle of equals. No, it is Thanks not a battle of equals. No, 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 no. Satan's a creature. God is the creator. And I think sometimes we forget that too. Yes. Especially when things get really dark. So we all know what happens. Genesis 3. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. Everything is ruined. We need to back up a bit and look at exactly what happened and why. Because this is important to our personhood. Like of knowing who we of, are. Of knowing who yes. we are. This is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So we need to pay attention here. Oh, we do. So Satan appears to Eve and says, did God really say you're not to eat of any of the trees in the garden? So what did he just do? He's already lying to her. God said mm. no such thing. Mm -hmm. And she knew it. So he twists the truth. He knows good and well what God said, but the initial question is a setup. So Eve answers inaccurately. She says, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It's only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it or else you will die. Genesis 3 verse 3. Did God say anything about not even touching the tree? Not that I recall. No. Hmm. So God didn't say anything about that. In fact, because we had already established that the command was given to Adam and not to Eve because she hadn't been created yet, something happened. Adam had to have told her what the command was. So what probably happened is we have something very similar to what the instructions a parent gives a child. Sweetheart, don't touch the stove. You know what? In fact, don't even, just don't even touch it. Don't even go over there. Okay, so he may have exaggerated the command to Eve to protect her. So this is what she tells Satan. Oh, no, we're not even supposed to touch it mm -hmm. or else we're going to die. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what? Just good enough. Just don't go near it. So Satan does what he does best. He takes a piece of the truth and surrounds it with a lie mm -hmm. to make it look attractive. All the time. All it's going to happen to you today. All somewhere. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It might be that bag of Cheetos sitting right there. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so he's out. Oh, no, you will not die. God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know good and evil. Genesis 3 verse 5. What he should have said if he was going to be honest, which we know he cannot be, is God knows you're not going to die yet. 
mm-hmm. but you will. Mm-hmm. And not just physically either. Mm. You're going to die completely. Mm. But he lies. No, you're not going to. Don't be silly. Mm. And then he convinces her that God is jealous of them. Mm. Imagine how that's absurd. Mm. So he does what? He plants the seed of doubt in her. He enables her to cast doubt on the gift and the giver. So he's, oh, God is jealous, mm. don't you see? He's mm. je- That's like saying Michelangelo is jealous of one of his statues. <laughs> it's absurd. Wow. The creator is jealous of the creature? Right. If he wanted you to have that power, sweetheart, he would have given it to you. But you're right. a creature. She forgot her place. Yes. As creature, she yeah. forgot. Yeah. The tragedy of this whole story is that Satan was offering something they already had. They already had likeness of God. They had his image. They had his likeness. They were protected from evil. They knew what good was because they were living it. As any good father, he was trying to protect them from the effects of knowledge of evil. Just like we want to protect our children from watching movies they have no business watching or video games or listening to music. The image now is in your head and you Mm. can't get it out. I don't want you to see that. I'm trying to protect you from that. Not because I think you're stupid or can't handle it. It's because doing, I love you. I love you and it will do damage to you. Yes. I don't want that for you. Are we better than God? God wanted the same thing. Satan offered her what she already had. Wow. So they were in a state of holiness. They were in a state of innocence. They loved each other as gift. They were mirroring the love of the Trinity. They knew nothing of hatred or malice manipulation, greed, fear, violence, but they would. So Satan convinces Eve to cast doubt on the gift, takes a bite of the fruit, and then does what? Does she wait around for Adam to show up? Where is he? He's right next to her. Mm, Participating. Scripture says Mm -hmm. that she turns to her husband and gave him the fruit and he ate it. Dude, you had one job. And that was to protect your wife. And you didn't do it. Of course, she had one job, too, and that was to obey. And she didn't do that. So nobody's the helper. And to be the helper. Some help, right? So, (laughs) you know, I can hear the the guys in the audience go, yes, some help she is. You know, well. It's both. It was both. They're both guilty. Now, only God knows what would have happened if Adam had tried to stop her. If Adam had refused. And when God showed up again in the evening, in the cool of the day and fell on his face and begged forgiveness for her, Right? how much the evil in this world would have been mitigated. Man. Can you imagine? Let's just sit and imagine that for a second. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it might not be as bad. It might, it not. might not be nearly as, I mean, we'll never know. Yeah. We'll have to ask God when we get there. That's right. You know, That's hey, right. Lord, what if? And I don't know if God does what ifs, but, you know, but kind of fun to imagine. So what did she, what did she see? What was so attractive? You know, we read this story and I can imagine all of collective humanity going, no, don't do it. Right. Like watching a bad movie where you know it's going to happen. What did she see? The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. Genesis three, verse six. And this is what St. John the evangelist would call the threefold concupiscence. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Mm, mm, mm. And that's what did us in. 
So this is what happens when the giver of the gift is left out of the equation. What you mm-hmm. have left is lust and pride. Wow. That's what you have left when wow. God is taken out of the equation. They thought they knew better than God. They didn't trust him. They thought he wasn't telling them the whole story. And you know, after all, if it looks okay, it should be okay, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what our culture tells us? Yeah. If it should be okay, everybody else is doing it. If right. it looks okay, it should be fine. You're not hurting anybody. So the core of Satan's message, what was it? It's the same one he tries to get us all to believe today. God doesn't really love you. Certainly not as much as he says he does. And the worst part, he tries to convince you of this by using your own voice to convict you. How many times has that happened to me? He'll put an idea in my head and he'll couch it in my voice to make me think it's coming from me. It's not coming from me. It's coming from him. I know you mm-hmm. get out of my head mm-hmm. that he, mm-hmm. Hey, in the name of Jesus, in the yes. name of Jesus, get back to hell where you belong. Shut, leave me alone. Yeah. Shut up and leave me alone. Go away. You're bothering me. Right. Yes. Th- that, and it sounds silly, but you really do need to get in the habit of doing that. I, That's especially definitely me too. Oh my goodness. So what does he say to you? Well, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be suffering. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be in this mess. If God really loved you, your loved one wouldn't have died. If, 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 tell him to shut up and go away. The truth is Satan hates you for one reason and for one reason only, because every time he looks at you, what does he see? He sees the image of the God who created you, and he hates him more than anything, anyone in the universe. He hates you. He wants to destroy you because that is his revenge against the Lord. You love this one so much, I'm going to take care from you. I'm going to take him from you. See what you get. That's what he's doing. That's exactly what he's doing. And sometimes it comes in little pieces, little stages, and sometimes it's big, right? But that's what he's trying to do. You are God's beloved child. He hates you. So imagine when Blessed Mother shows up in all of her purity, how much he hates her. Oh, my goodness. I can't even. Yes. Ooh. And I can speak to that from, from some other perspectives, too, in later, later shows. I oh, mean, it's amazing. Goodness. It's amazing. And that you just really said, when all said and done, Josie, you just told us who we are. We're God's beloved child, mm-hmm. as if we were his only Josie, mm-hmm. his only Stacy. And Satan hates you. Right. And he hates me. And he hates every person listening. And this is the root issue right here. We've got this identity woundedness from Mm -hmm. the fall, from the fall. So we must know who we are so Mm -hmm. that we can move forward as John Paul II tells us to do. So what do we, what we should do as our final thought here, when we hear those, those thoughts going on in our head, those accusing Mm-hmm. kinds of thoughts, those lies, those beliefs, those, those horrible vows that we make to ourselves in our head. What should we do, Josie? Mm-hmm. Well, don't give him the satisfaction. Satan's greatest triumph, his greatest revenge is to convince you that God doesn't love you, that you're worthless, to cause you to despair and to turn away from him and to lose your salvation. That's what he wants. Yeah. And that you can't trust him. And that you, you can't and he's trust not him. merciful. No. He's harsh. No. And- that's yeah. what that's what the church says. That's not the reality. He's a harsh, vindictive judge. Don't don't believe all that foolishness. Well, that's what he wants you to believe. So don't give him the satisfaction. The next time you hear that voice, just tell him 
to go back to hell where he belongs. The truth is you are loved. You are lovable. So much so that God died for you. So the question now is, how much more convincing do you really need? Right. Amen. Till next time, Josie Duke, thank you so much. And with that, we've reached the end of our second in this series of three entitled, Who Are You? From a scriptural perspective, from a Genesis perspective with our lovely guest, Josie Duke. I wonder if you're thinking what I'm thinking, just in awe of how Josie can take such a large amount of information that we're only skimming barely skimming the surface of and bringing it together in such a lovely way to begin to open our hearts and our minds to ponder upon, perhaps for the first time, what was it really like in the garden? What must it have been like to truly know and to be in total communion with God, our creator, as he created us, seeing ourselves in the way that he sees us and the way that he knows us and in the way that he loves us. Josie mentioned a number of resources today, a number of documents that have been so instrumental in um, helping she and I both to understand these truths more deeply. And I particularly love the ones by John Paul II, Letter to Women, um, and his writings on the feminine genius. And these are these are documents and as well as others that I'll be exploring in future podcasts and in some of my other work in my talks and um, presentations and so forth. And so I'm looking forward to sharing all of that with you and in thinking specifically about what is this glorious gift of femininity that the Lord has given me. And through that femininity, how am I to be a gift to others, to all that God places in my path. I just, these are things I love to, to pray about and think about and contemplate in my work and in my personal life. And I love sharing these things with you. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are. What struck you today as you listened to the words that Josie shared with us um, in our conversation? Did you have questions or, or maybe was something perplexing to you or confusing to you? I'd love to hear about that. So please do send me a little comment or question that sends a direct email to me at my website, stacygalino.com, at that little Ask Stacy button on the bottom of the homepage. I would love to respond to you. I'd love to hear from you to see what it is you're thinking. We've got one more episode in this series of three on our identity from a theological, from a scriptural perspective. And while I'm really, really enjoying this series, I'm already looking forward to building upon that with all of the different topics that this will open up for us to discuss and ponder together. Stay tuned for the final episode in this series, and I'll see you right here next time on the Faith and Good Counsel Show. Bye-bye for now. Mm-hmm.